Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I am doing fabulous today. How are you doing? I am, well, I'm actually still recovering because we had such an amazing jam. It was like blustery, crazy wind, but we found this spot right behind this grove of trees, and you and Lori and I, we just shredded, and I'm like still recovering from that. Yeah, that was an amazing jam. So as you know, I'm here in Hawaii with you, obviously, and the winds have been howling like, I don't know, 20 plus miles an hour, and you and Lori take me to this little spot behind all these trees. I'm like, there's no way. How can this be a good spot? Like the trees are going to block all the wind, and somehow the trees worked as like a a colander, a sieve to somehow soften the wind, but still have it be totally full. And it was one of the best winds that I've jammed in in a long, long time. So that was really cool. And thank you so much for that treat. Yeah, totally. It those trees defy logic because there's just they're not really like perfectly organized. There's just a bunch of trees, but the wind comes through them and it like takes away the gusts, but it also takes away the dropouts. It just comes through smooth, like it's consistent in a way that doesn't make sense. But anyhow. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. So we've had some people ask us questions about uh, where to find the podcast um, and how to guess, how to subscribe to it. And so I wanted to talk about that real quick. Um, you can actually go to iTunes, to Google or to um, Spotify and just do a search for shooting the Frisbees and then subscribe to the podcast right there. The, most of those will have a subscribe button. And there's actually a whole bunch of other services that we're listed in too. So if you have a favorite, you should be able to find us there. And if you can't, let me know and I can get us listed in there. Yeah. And also, I mean, you can use a podcast app. There's lots of them and whatever one you're using, it will also have a search function where you can just type in shoot in the Frisbees and it'll show up and then hit subscribe and it will download all 120 plus episodes. Also, you can go directly to frisbeeguru.com and subscribe to the email list. Just put your email in the subscribe area and you'll get an email every time a new episode has been released. So that's another way. Well, speaking of emails, um, something that's happened recently is that Jammers on the Net listserv has gone offline. So Yahoo canceled their Yahoo groups, which means that we no longer have that as a resource. But I understand that Tommy is working on a new listserv through Google Groups. And so I'll make sure to post a link to that in the show notes for this episode so that uh, anyone out there can go and subscribe and uh, get right back on the listserv. Awesome. So why don't we get into today's episode? We are going to finish up our conversation with Larry Imperiali, and we're going to recap those seminal moments that, in his opinion, really had an impact on the Eurowave. And also, we're going to shine a little more light on Paganello. Enjoy. Well, that's cool. So it was not just like one particular moment, but it was moments. Paganello became a platform, a tournament for people to actually be drawn to, but it was all those other elements that were exposing people. Because if the Nike commercial had happened and Sune and Tommy were doing their shows, they still were going to need a place for people to congregate and, you know, kind of show their stuff. And so Paganella was that. And it just all kind of came together and worked. And then FPA Worlds gave it the legitimacy. Yeah. I mean, that's really, I think, the foundation of Europe. You know, one 
early routine I remember that was memorable for me was uh, Cologne, and I don't remember the year. It was two th- early 2000, but uh, you know Germany was starting to get involved a lot more, and they had a tournament in Cologne, and I played with Fabio. My first tournament with Fabio, and oh, so memorable. I mean, I just remember cranking him my big counter Mac throw, and he gets it. I'm like, oh my god, this kid's amazing. And, uh, and then, but what I remember, that's not the, that, that was memorable, but the routine I remember was afterwards, Tommy played with a couple of clock players for sort of a demo. And then I played with Fabio and to do a demo and Fabio and I are like, yeah, let's get someone newer to play with us. And who are we going to play? Yeah. There's that German kid. I think his name's Murdad. Let's play with that kid Murdad. I mean, he's just starting, but you know, he seems to be really fun and he can bash counter a little bit. Let's play with him. And I'm like, whoa, I can't believe those two players I was playing with and what they mean to the sport today. I mean, oh my gosh. Wow. So you were playing with Fabio and Merdad, also known as Graf, who is our current world champion right now in pairs. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And Fabio was an accomplished player at that point, but Merdad was, he was a rookie for sure. Jake, did you ever have any Paganello experiences? I never did. I actually never made it to Paganello. It's something that I had always wanted to do, but I was still young, young in my 20s and barely making any money. I couldn't really afford to travel. Yeah, some great memories from Paganello. I mean, th- those are some of my most memorable routines because of the energy at Paganello. Not many people will remember this, but the uh, uh, Ultramundo Studios semifinals at midnight with a packed standing room only ultimate players in this small disco and i remember paul sune and i playing and i think it just overwhelmed paul in 2000 if that was the year but uh, i was delaying the disc and the music was so loud it was like it felt like it was bouncing off my finger just from the music and uh, so those ultramundo routines were that was the probably the most energy i've ever felt in freestyle because it was so compact people that were lucky enough to experience the disco i mean it's legendary i'd never seen anything or felt anything like that as well because it was weird it was happening at midnight so as a player you're like having to how to how to get yourself ready to play at midnight and that was crazy in the first place then all the ultimate players and they were just like partying so it was just this electric atmosphere and i remember I remember seeing one of the most amazing routines of my life to this day was in that forum. And it was Suni Wenzel and Reto Zimmerman. And they were playing to you too. It's a beautiful day. And it was just, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it right now. It was, it was incredible. I've never seen anything. They fed off the, the energy and the crowd was feeding off of them. And, and it was just so memorable incredible and unfortunately they don't do the disco anymore now they kind of have a a faux disco that they make uh, on the beach but the disco was special yeah i remember uh, that routine by sune and you know of course all the uh women are swooning over sune and he's all jumping around and just playing so great and then but I, what i really remember was a move reto i think you know how well he spins he did a triple spinning catch in that routine and the play, I mean, it just blew up. I mean, they were on fire. Yeah, it was like full on screaming. And so, and what's also crazy is that, you know, we're there in the disco and the tournament is done, like whatever, at one in the morning. But that doesn't mean the party's done. So people are just raging and, you know, we're all joining in. 
And then it's like, okay, it's time to go. And it, we don't really know what time it is. We've lost time. We're having fun. We kind of open up the door out of the disco and it's like, oh my gosh, it's daylight. <laughs> you know, we're all kind of <laughs> closing our eyes like a, whoa, what, what's happening? And so remember everybody trying to get taxis home and it was kind of anarchy about how to get home and get to your hotel. But yeah, opening up the disco doors, kind of like, whoa, oh my God, real life. <laughs> Yeah, to be able to experience that Ultramundo studio, there's shredding and, oh my gosh, what a great time. I do have one more memory of Paganello uh, that has to do with you, Larry. And uh, that wasn't that long ago. It was maybe, I don't know, four years ago. You and I and Bill having that special experience together, getting to do our routine and uh, in the new, the new disco format that they had set up on the beach. But that was a pretty cool memory as well. Yeah, having that that consistent condition in there, practicing in a little roundabout on the grass in the uh, Rimini there, right? Remember that? You know, oh, yeah. you, you, not a lot of places to warm up. So, oh, yeah, the roundabout's got a little grass area. Let's play in there. You know, one thing that's great about the experiences I've had with Frisbee is the, and I'm, I know everyone else has probably had the same as the small world stories, right? And my favorite small world story is uh, when I went to Budapest and, uh, there's a guy there who could freestyle. His name was Ferry. Um, actually, when we were in uh, England uh, three years ago, uh, the the Budapest Ultimate Team came up, and Ferry is their coach. And they're like, "Yeah, they said to say hello to you, Larry." So Ferry and I would freestyle a little bit, but I also played Ultimate, and, and they played at a place called Santa Marguerite Island, or maybe Saint Marguerite Island. I'm not sure. Between Buda and Pest on the river. Uh, first, I go my buddy Dylan, who I met at Paganello who was from New Zealand, but he lived in Budapest. And he goes, okay, well, meet me at my work. We'll take a train to uh, uh, the island and we'll go uh, play ultimate and you can jam a little bit with Ferry too. And so I show up at his work at, at this little travel agency and wait for him a little bit. And then he's ready and we take the train and do all that and jam and play ultimate. And that was it. Then uh, later that fall, I uh, went and lived with a family in Guatemala and took Spanish classes. One weekend, you know, we could go on excursions on weekends. Um, I took a small plane from Guatemala City to Tikal to see the ruins in Tikal, which were amazing. Um, and on the line in Guatemala City, Guatemala City to get to uh, the airplane, there are these oh, way back in the back of the line. There's these two very tall women about my age. And, uh, you know, they stood out because they were six foot, five, eleven. I'm not sure. But don't think anything of it. Get on the plane, visit T-Call for a weekend. And then Sunday night, I go to get on the plane and I'm right behind them in line again. They're flying to Guatemala City and I'm like, start talking to them. And, oh, yeah, we're, we're you know, here from uh, Hungary. We're travel agents and, uh, you know, we're checking it out to get uh, people from Hungary to fly out here to visit and that type of thing. And talk about it. I go, oh, yeah, I got a buddy who works at a travel agency in Budapest. And she looks at me and she goes. You were in our office two weeks ago. <laughs> you visited Dylan, right? I'm like, oh, my God. So, uh, you know, that's the reach of uh, freestyle, right? And what we see. And I know everyone's like, I got a small world story just like that. And But, uh, you know, that's a special thing about uh, our uh, worldwide jamily, so to speak. So, Larry, you've had an amazing career so far. And it's not over yet. But um, over all these decades of building routines and making routines and playing routines and big time tournaments. 
maybe you could tell us about some of your favorite routines over the years. And it doesn't just have to be one or two. Take your time and walk us through some of those. Wow. You know, there's so many different criteria for what makes a memorable routine. Uh, I mean, I think of Joey. I mean, he was so supportive of me and so encouraging and, you know, liking my style when I thought I didn't fit in and, you know, that type of thing. So there's a lot of good, uh, one memorable one was my mom had never seen me freestyle. And uh, finally at 82 Sonoma, uh, she decided to come up and watch it. And she's always like, oh, Larry, you got second place, fourth place, third place. And I play with Joey in this really windy day. We have one drop. Joey just shreds. We connect. First time ever a scarecrow brush in competition uh, I did. And uh, just a really great routine, standing ovation, walk off, walk up to my mom. And she goes, well, if you don't win this, I just don't know what to think. And I'm like, mom, I played with Joey Hadocklin. We had one drop in big wind. Trust me, we won. <laughs> so that was very memorable in that regard. You know, I was always a better co-op player, you know, just like I'd sort of put a team like side out in a blender by putting me in the middle of it and things like that. And that added a lot of variety and differences. And But uh, a couple of pairs wins, you know, with my best good friends, uh, Joel Rogers and uh, Steve Hubbard, Steve in 1990 FPA Worlds and Joel in 2002 FPA Worlds. Those were good memories. You know, one year in Rimini, uh, 2007, I played in Paganello, and that was memorable just because it was Fabio. We played in the semis, the energy again, not Ultramundo, but it was in the big tent indoors with, you know, what, a thousand ultimate players. And we went dropless. It was Fabio's first dropless. And then Pipo Paul and I go out in the finals the next day outdoors and go dropless. And that was a great memory with some great friends. But then I think, uh, I mean, my most memorable is the 1983 U.S. Open with Bill, so. Those are some of my favorite routines. Uh, certainly some uh, great routine. The U.S. Opens were always my favorite because of the crowd, too. So 88, 89, side out. And then, of course, uh, Bill and Randy and I, you know, winning FPA Worlds uh, in whatever year that was, 97, Randy? Yeah, I think so. I maybe know, 98, uh, maybe 98, I don't know. 96, I, I know the U.S. Open. We played together first at the U.S. Open. That's where you and I actually were walking, preparing to go on, and we, we had the conversation with the goose. Well, it was your brother inside of the goose, I thought. Exactly, and he gave us wise words, and you said, oh, my God, I think we're going to win. <laughs> was it, if you feel it, peel it, if you don't, seal it? Exactly. The goose said the right words. Wow. But, yeah, those were some some memorable routines, definitely, with you and Bill over the years, for sure. Yeah, and it was great to uh, get a Paganello under our belt together. Um there's lots of new players starting to come up into the sport. So what would you tell a new player is the key to being a great player? I think uh, Fabio used the word monomaniac. You know, I've always been, I've done a million different sports, but uh, uh, definitely that can't put it down, play every chance you get, play in the parking lot, and you know, wherever you can, the rest stop, you know, so that's obviously key. Um, I, I think from a competition standpoint, you know, I was lucky I had great partners and that's obviously a big, <laughs> big help. Um, uh, I also used to do everything I could outside of the three to four minutes or three to five minutes that I could to help our case. You know, whether it's visualizing the routine on the sideline before I play, different things like that, using Randy's, if you feel it, peeled, if you don't seal it mentality, 
you know, that type of thing. I don't, I don't know if I have a lot of advice. I think one thing I feel about music. So I'm very lucky to play with probably three of the greatest choreographers of all time. I mean, many people are great choreographers, but it's uh, Bill Wright, Randy Sylvie, and Paul Kenny. And I feel that it's critically important to have that connection between your routine to the music and not just this subtle connection. I like that big connection. Like if you watch that 83 U.S. Open, that beginning, oh my gosh, it was so powerful and so clear the music hits. It makes that audience connect emotionally to your routine because of those music beats you hit. So I do think that is critically important. Um, the other thing, and this is a little different. So maybe this gets into a little bit of, you know, if I could change judging the way I wanted, uh, things just aren't as exciting as they used to be. You can overlook the excitement factor. If you watch those old U.S. Opens, you know, the disc is often in different players, but sometimes players, they keep the disc very close to their body. It doesn't fly very far in terms of their moves. What makes the crowd go crazy? And it's not about the crowd necessarily exclusively. But like anything, I think you have to look at the sport through the customer's eyes, so to speak. But you watch those old U.S. Opens. It's when someone's saving something, chasing after it. Oh, they're never going to get it. Oh, no, no, no. He, oh, 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 we got it. You know, and the crowd just explodes. And that excitement factor is so important. And I also, from a judging perspective, think that uh, you got to be careful about those changes to the judging system because it can influence how people play. So if you... Make it so that execution is weighted so heavily for a little error. Yeah, great. If you can get that excitement and bigness and all that without an execution error, that, that's, the, that's the holy grail. But uh, I think you have to be careful about saying execution is too important because then people maybe don't go for it as much. But the best players, they can do both. So, uh, you know, that's the balance there. So, you know, that's a little philosophy. And I think if I was king of the world, I would never see a team win a world championship without a quick catch series. <laughs> Maybe that's a little extreme, but uh, I think no matter what we do, we don't encourage it enough in our judging system. And you look back to the seventies, that was the most exciting aspect of freestyle, but people don't learn how to play catch anymore so much if they go right into freestyle and we lose that excitement of that quick catch. I mean, just watch the Velasquez brothers. You know, watch some of these early teams, the Coloradicals. I don't know if there's ever been teams that did quick catch series so well as the Velasquez brothers or the Coloradicals. And it's a lost art. And it's probably the best part of our sport that people can relate to. It's a, yeah, it's a tough art, that quick catch. Yeah. I've, I've, so I've heard people say that before. And then if you watch some routines over some of the recent FPA worlds, a lot of teams are doing speed flow, but it doesn't have the same in my opinion it doesn't have the same excitement that some of those older routines did when they were doing the quick catch as you're describing and i think i don't know that uh, that we know how to make it look exciting today i know i don't i feel like i'm not quite putting enough into it i don't even know what it is i don't know what's missing but it just feels like something's missing something that i just sort of have been thinking about in that aspect is that where the game was, it seemed like it was much more of a dialogue, whether a dialogue between the players themselves, a dialogue with the audience. Today's play seems much more like a monologue where people are really kind of into themselves. And, and even if they're doing a speed flow, I don't feel like they're talking to each other. I feel like there's 
there's more monologue in today's game instead of dialogue. And that can be dialogue with your partner, dialogue with the music, dialogue with the audience. And it's a tough thing to do because you can't say do this to have a dialogue. It's like you got to be in tune in a way that is not easy to explain. You kind of it's kind of a feel it kind of thing. Um, but it's much more easy to have a monologue because that's super accessible because it's just you. You just worry about you. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just thinking about like the style of plays over the years. And I think in the early days, there was a lot more individual moves than there are today. There's a lot more co-ops and like the mob op style has taken off, but I also think routines are a lot more cooperative than they used to be. I, I don't know. Would you guys agree with that? No question. You're absolutely right. And so that, that kind of lends itself to a dialogue just in a different way from the quick catch. Yeah, that's interesting because so that kind of goes against what I'm saying about monologue, monologue dialogue because the co-op is definitely a dialogue, but there's something about it that doesn't seem as exciting. I don't, yeah. I don't, I can't put my finger on it. I think if you look at the Velasquez brothers, which had an amazing quick catch series, it was the variety of throws they had as well. And the exciting throws along with the exciting catch with the Colorado radicals, it was the weave, right? The weave was so exciting because it was so athletic and they're running around and they're hooping and under the leg and brushing it. And, and Jake, uh, the reason maybe quick catch is hard for you or me is we grew up in an era that was a delay era and a jamming era where the people uh, in the 70s, that was the game. And they got really good at it. And you had to have a lot of throws. You weren't going to, God forbid, win a tournament in the mid-70s with like two throws like you'll see today, maybe. So everyone had the throws. Everyone had variety of catches. And that was the exciting thing. So people played that game. So how do we bring it back? Or do we even need to bring it back? I don't know. But it's just interesting. It's like thinking of my own style. I would love to be able to play that quick catch style and have more throws. And But I think, well, like, so for example, I was out playing speed flow with Lori the other day and I was trying different throws, but then the throws don't get to her and it gets frustrating. <laughs> so then I go back to the throw that I know, right? And I get it right to her every time. But is it really just having a variety of throws, a variety of catches? Is that the answer? It seems like it's deeper than that to me. Well, you got the glue of flow overriding everything, right? So it's not just doing a quick catch. It's a nice catch or a unique throw. It's how that flows together. And when you watch the Radicals or the Velasquez brothers, that's what tied it all together. And that almost like a co-op in a way, certainly, that uh, uh, creates the energy and the excitement that way. You can't just sit there and like, okay, here's a trick throw. Okay, here's a trick catch. Okay, setting up changing hands, throwing it. It's about that flow. And I'm not saying I'm very good at it either. <laughs> um, but uh, I think those two teams uh, definitely were some of the best. If you watch the Velasquez brothers, a lot of times they're moving around a lot during their throws. It's not just make the throw. It's spin around, try this way, go that way. And it's a, it's a lot of surprise in the way that they move as they're making their catches and their throws. So maybe there's something to that too. Exactly. Yeah, it's the flow and the filling of space and the incorporation of the music. And it's like all of those pieces. But I think that some of the play today forgets about all tying all of those pieces together. They kind of take one piece and say, OK, I'm going to focus on this. And oh, we better put in some speed flow here. And oh, well, we better put it. So it's kind of making it in chunks and parts instead of it being all a total incorporation. Yeah. And you watch the videos that Wiseman puts out, James Wiseman. I mean, mind-boggling what's happening there but that's what people see right that are all over the world that aren't in the tournaments or whatever 
And that's freestyle to many people. And you don't see the videos of the awesome quick catch series enough, certainly of modern jammers. So it's not something people uh, see as a, a model to emulate. Yeah, very true. The style has just changed over the years. It's part of just yep. like Skippy was talking to us about how language changes over time and how some of the names of the moves have changed over time. The style mm -hmm. changes too. What's what's popular, how people play, it just sort of morphs. Yep. But I do think that's a part of our game that we need to bring back to because it's more accessible. People see delay and all this disc close to your body and it's not flying away from the body much. And, you know, it's not as exciting for the crowd because they can't relate to it. But uh, when they see someone you know, doing a big air catch off a quick catch and then doing a behind the back throw to the other person. And, you know, they can relate to that more. And I think it it's very exciting when a team does that well. Okay, Larry. So we asked this question to everybody. And so we want to know, what is your favorite kitchen utensil? Oh, I didn't want that question. That's the one my you favorite, didn't prepare for, right? <laughs> my, my, uh, I think about it every hundred podcasts or 30 podcasts where it's brought up and I don't really, so I would have to say, can I use a corn tortilla? Is that a utensil? Ooh, <laughs> no, it's a corn, it's a corn tortilla. <laughs> okay. Okay. Utensil. I would have to say my favorite kitchen utensil is the top to the uh, food storage containers because I can chest roll them. So I would have to say that. And, uh, and then when I'm done, I don't have to eat all my food cause I can store it nice and tightly and airtight. But, uh, I also like, uh, from a food standpoint, I like corn tortillas because I make huevos rancheros and I'll roll the corn tortilla to the plate. Wow. So you've had the practice with your kitchen, not so much a utensil, but a kitchen item, which is the lid to the container and you parlay that right over to the corn tortilla and being able to roll the corn tortilla onto your plate. That is correct, but the corn tortilla tia is not classified as a utensil, so I'll have to uh, go with the uh, top to the food storage container. All right, cool. Well, Larry, on that uh, note, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You are amazing uh, person in our sport, an ambassador, a competitor. Uh, every label that you want to put is one that could be put on your career. So thank you so much for everything you've given us and in the sport. And thank you for giving your time to us today. Uh, you're very welcome. It was very fun to have all these memories uh, go through my brain again. And I'm going to go jam right now on the beach in the nice wind. Oh, enjoy. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks again, Larry, for joining us and sharing your story with uh, Shooting the Frisbees. We really were super, super happy to have you join us. And, you know, after further review, I must say that I actually think a corn tortilla might be a utensil. And if you have a corn chip, so if you fried up some corn tortillas and made them into corn chips, they actually could be a delivery utensil for salsa and guacamole. So I'm going to go ahead and say that a corn tortilla could actually be a utensil. Uh, I think the jury's still out. I don't know if I totally agree with you on that one because <laughs> you can eat a corn tortilla, but you can't eat a fork. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. All right. All right. Well, we'll just let that be up for debate. Okay. Uh, so, well, I, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was um, the Tiny Room Challenge, which is coming up in a couple weekends on February 6th and 7th. And then again on the 13th and 14th, the Tiny Room Battle Challenge 3 will be taking place online. And uh, we will be hosting it here on frisbeeguru.com. So 
don't forget to tune in. It's going to be an awesome, epic event. Indeed. And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle Frisbee.